Jesus Christ, the perfect preacher. Wouldn't you like to be in the audience to hear him preach? Well, you can read what he said in the New Testament, and we are involved in the study of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And these video classes are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. I'm Warren Berkeley. Thank you for being with us. The Sermon on the Mount is a manifesto of the kingdom or a constitution given to teach the character of those who were citizens in his kingdom. We arrive now in chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Here is our text. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's go back now and start at verse 12, and you know what we call verse 12. We call it the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is, first of all, unselfish interest in others. That becomes a strong influence in how we treat others. I was taught in my youth by applying this simple rule of Christ, it keeps you from many sins, stealing, lying, gossip, being unforgiving, insulting, hateful. It keeps you from adultery and fornication. It restrains you from doing things to others you don't want to happen to yourself. It compels us to deal with others by beginning with ourselves. I wouldn't want to be lied to or lied about. Therefore, I shouldn't lie to or about anyone if I'm a follower of Christ. Memorable as it is, this passage carves out no new ethical ground but is simply a restatement of Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a quotation from Paul Earnhardt. We are not to determine our treatment of other men by looking at them and asking what they deserve, but by starting with ourselves and asking what we would want and need. God's children are to draw on an innate sense of self-interest in order to treat others graciously and redemptively. How, we must ask, would we want to be treated if we were in the same circumstances that now confront our fellow man? Now, going through the Sermon on the Mount, it may occur to you this teaching is so challenging. There are so many in the world who just do not want to live this way, and that would be right. Listen now 
to the next two verses. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. By the time you get to Matthew 7, 13, you already know this is not going to be easy, and many will not want to live by the instruction given by the perfect preacher. But the goal is life with God, life with God now and life with God after you die. Yes, the gate is narrow and the way can be hard, but it leads to life in the fullest and the highest sense that there can be life. Now, let's explore this a little further. I remember being a student in a Bible class one time in rural Arkansas over 50 years ago. The Bible class teacher was a farmer with no formal education, but a godly man who was a very serious and careful Bible student. And he was dealing with this passage, and some young man in the class had just returned from college, and he considered himself now to be superior in intellect to the hometown folks. The young intellectual was attempting to enter into the class discussion and push the class discussion into some sort of deep nuances of thought with all kinds of analysis or over-analysis and comparison with various forms of human philosophy. The brother, the old farmer, who was teaching the class, exercised all the good patience that he had. And then he stopped the useless discussion, and he said to the class, listen, folks, this is nothing but your basic narrow gate. Let's think about this word, enter. And the point I want to make about this is elementary. When you see this word, enter, something is required of you. It is like a command. It's identifying an action on your part that is necessary when you see that word. If you approach a huge building and you want and you need access into that structure, you see a sign above the doorway. It says, enter here. The sign is telling you what to do, where to go, how to get in. And you respond in order to have access. If you have a computer and you spend some time on the internet that used to be called the World Wide Web, you log into your computer and you go to a certain place, and it used to be, and still in some cases is, there will be a sign there, and the sign will say, enter here. Same kind of thing. The sign is telling you what to do, how to gain access. So when you see this word, enter, Something is required of you. It's like a command, identifying an action that is necessary. The God of heaven sent his son to die for us. Based on that sacrifice, even though we have sinned, God offers us access into his family and his favor. 
but he doesn't grab us and drag us and shove us into the door. No, he appeals to us. He offers us the gift of salvation and eternal life. He shows us his love and mercy. We are invited to go in, urged and influenced to come into his favor and be his child. So in Luke 13, 24, Jesus places responsibility on us in these words, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In the book of Acts and in the epistles, it is so clear that we are not captured or apprehended against our will. No, an offer is made. A gift is described. A way of life that is narrow is accessible and available. But we have to decide we're going to enter. We have to choose who we will serve and then do what he says in order to have access into his favor. It behooves us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And let me say, it is not enough to admire the narrow gate or admire the door or listen to preaching about it and read passages concerning it. It must be entered. And you cannot bring the world with you or the baggage of personal sin when you enter that door. There were various gates in the wall around Jerusalem that people were familiar with, and some were wide and some were narrow. That's the imagery behind this. Three things characterize the narrow gate. It is difficult, but it leads to life, yet there are few who go in. Difficulty leads to life, but few who go in that way. I think one problem we have today is, even among religious people, one problem is we want to believe that heaven can be obtained on much easier terms than those set forth by Christ. So we come to some passage that sets forth what men consider to be a very strict standard. And almost immediately, we want to explain that passage or give some interpretation that makes it easier. Sometimes this mentality reaches a point where we're almost making an apology for Christ. Well, now he really didn't mean it that way. And we call up circumstances and literary devices, and we try to take the edge off. We try to make it sound easier. Then we come to the assembly and we sing, Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Folks, the narrow way is not only difficult. It not only can be hard, it leads to life. The two paths depicted in this passage lead somewhere. One leads to destruction. The other leads to life. The promise of the gospel of Christ is, you can live spiritually after you die to sin in baptism. But you have to enter. You have to make that choice. So Jesus said about this narrow gate, 
it is difficult, it leads to life, and there are few who find it. And of course, this is sad, the few part. And this should never be the basis of any exclusive attitude of arrogance or self-righteousness. But this has been true through the history of man. Those who serve God faithfully have always been few in number. You can go back to the time of the flood and take note of only eight people saved in the ark. You can consider the long days of Israel's rebellion when there was only a remnant who didn't follow idolatry. So this is a recurrent theme. It is an occasion of sadness, should never be an occasion of boasting. Those who serve God faithfully have always been few in number. Now, I need to explain, this doesn't mean the fewer the people, the greater their faithfulness. Jesus is not giving us a mathematical figure or formula to determine righteousness. He's not saying if you're only with a little group, then you got to be really good people. That's not, we, we must not misuse what the Lord says. This tells me, if I want to please the mass of people, if I want to be lost in the crowd and drift along toward popular opinion, I'm not in the narrow way and I will not find it. As long as I'm motivated by the desire to please the crowd, please the world, be attached to the world, I'm, not, I'm going to be in the broad way, the wide gate. If I change my motivation and decide I want to please God, regardless of what the world thinks, that's a major step out of the broad way and toward the narrow way. The wide gate is wide. One translation, broad. It accommodates many people and is characterized by spacious contours. The broad, wide way is well-traveled. It is not confining, relatively easy to find, and many travelers are to be found there. This is the easy way of just following the same course that most people are following. Or as we used to say, just go along with the crowd. No unpopular teachings or convictions. No struggle to develop patience in trials. No need to study and think and believe certain things. No strong sense of duty is required. No conversion to go through. No gospel to preach. No savior to serve. No law to obey. You do not need to be concerned about Hardly anything. Just get in the broad, wide way and go with the multitudes. This is the way that is wide and broad. The going is smooth and easy, it seems, because it's all downhill. This is the pleasant, easy way of the flesh. No restrictions, full indulgence. But Isaiah said in Isaiah 17, 12, woe to the multitudes of many people. It is the broad and easy way where most people are, but it leads to destruction. Yes, it is spacious and popular, and there are many people there. The tragedy is 
that otherwise reasonable people can become so enamored with the spaciousness and the popularity of their path that they take little thought to its destination. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. So there is the narrow way that requires trust and obedience. Through this faith, we develop right attitudes and a healthy sense of responsibility. We deny self for God. We become vigilant regarding his truth, reverent toward his name. We are motivated to pursue purity and self-restraint. The broad way, the wide gate can be entered with unbelief and disobedience. You can have any kind of attitude you want to have. Your life can be characterized by irresponsibility and self-exaltation. In the broad way, you can be careless and compromising. There can be irreverence that breeds impurity and self-indulgence. The difference is so clear. The difference is so clear. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For narrow is the gate, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We hope and pray that you are on the narrow way that leads to life. These video classes are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. Thank you.